Chapter Seven of the History of Miss Betsy Thoughtless, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of Miss Betsy Thoughtless, Volume One, by Eliza Haywood, Chapter Seven is a medley of various particulars which pave the way for matters of more consequence. Miss Flora had now nothing in her head but the many hearts she expected to captivate, when she should arrive in L, and Lady Mellison, who soothed her in all her vanities, resolved to spare nothing which she imagined would contribute to that purpose. Miss Betsy, who had the same ambition, though for different ends, made it also pretty much her study to set off, to the best advantage, the charm she had received from nature. The important article of dress now engrossed the whole conversation of these ladies. The day after that in which Lady Trusty had made the invitation to the two young ones, Lady Mellison went with them to the mercer's to buy some silks. She pitched on a very genteel new-fashioned pattern for her daughter, but chose one for Miss Betsy, which, though rich, seemed to her not well fancied. She testified her disapprobation, but Lady Mellison said so much in the praise of it, and the mercer, either to please her, or because he was desirous of getting it sold, assured Miss Betsy that it was admired by everybody, that it was the newest thing that he had in his shop, and had already sold several pieces to ladies of the first quality. All this did not argue Miss Betsy into a liking of it, yet between them she was over-persuaded to have it. When these purchases were made, they went home only stopped at the mantua-makers on their way, to order her to come that afternoon. Lady Mellison did no more than set them down, and then went on in the coach to make a visit. The young ladies fell to reviewing their silks, but Miss Betsy was no way satisfied with hers. The more she looked upon it, the worse it appeared to her. "'I shall never wear it with any pleasure,' said she. "'I wish the man had it in his shop again, for I think it quite ugly.' Miss Flora told her that she wondered at her that the thing was perfectly handsome, and that my lady's judgment was never before called in question. "'That may be,' replied Miss Betsy, "'but certainly every one ought to please their own fancy in the choice of their clothes. For my part, I shall never endure to see myself in it, not when their fancy happens to differ from that of those who know better than themselves what is fit for them,' cried Miss Flora, "'and besides have the power over them.' She spoke this with so much pertinence that Miss Betsy, who had a violent spirit, was highly provoked. "'Power over them!' cried she. "'I do not know what you mean, Miss Flora. Mr. Goodman is one of my guardians indeed, but I don't know why that should entitle his lady to direct me in what I shall wear.' Mr. Goodman, who happened to be looking over some papers in a little closet he had within his parlour, hearing part of this dispute, and finding it was like to grow pretty warm, came out, in hopes of moderating it. On hearing Miss Betsy's complaint, he desired to see the silk, which being shown to him, "'I do not pretend,' said he, to much understanding in these things, but methinks it is very handsome. "'It would do well enough for winter, sir,' replied Miss Betsy, "'but it is too hot and heavy for summer. Besides, it is so thick and clumsy, it would make me look as big again as I am. I'll not wear it, I'm resolved, in the country, whatever I do when I come to town in the dark weather.' "'Well,' said Mr. Goodman, "'I will speak to my lady to get it changed for something else.' "'Indeed, sir,' cried Miss Flora, "'I am sure my mamma will do no such thing, "'and take it very ill to hear it proposed.' "'You need not put yourself in any heat,' replied Miss Betsy. "'I don't desire she should be troubled any farther about it. "'But, sir,' continued she, turning to Mr. Goodman, "'I think I am now at an age capable of choosing for myself "'in the article of dress, 
and as it has been settled between you and Sir Ralph Trusty that out of the income of my fortune thirty pounds a year should be allowed for my board, twenty pounds for my pocket expenses, and fifty for my clothes, I think I ought to have the two latter entirely at my own disposal, and to lay it out as I think fit, and not be obliged, like a charity child, to wear whatever livery my benefactor shall be pleased to order. She spoke this with so much spleen, that Mr. Goodman was a little nettled at it, and told her that what his wife had done was out of kindness and good will, which, since she did not take it as it was meant, she should have her money to do with as she would. "'That is all I desire,' answered she. "'Therefore be pleased to let me have twenty guineas now, or, if there does not remain so much in your hands, I will ask Sir Ralph to advance it, and you may return it to him when you settle accounts.' "'No, no,' cried the merchant hastily. "'I see no reason to trouble my good friend Sir Ralph on such a frivolous matter. "'You shall have the sum you mentioned, Miss Betsy, "'whether so much remains out of the hundred pounds a year "'set apart for your subsistence or not, "'as I can but deduct it out of the next payment. "'But I would have you manage with discretion, "'for you may depend that the surplus of what was at first agreed upon "'shall not be broken into, but laid up to increase your fortune, "'which, by the time you come of age, I hope, "'will be pretty handsomely improved.' Miss Betsy then assured him that she doubted not of his zeal for her interest, and hoped she had not offended him in anything she had said. "'No, no,' replied he, "'I always make allowances for the little impatiencies of persons of your sex and age, especially when dress is concerned.' In speaking these words he opened his bureau, and took out twenty guineas, which he immediately gave her, making her first sign a memorandum of it. Miss Flora was all on fire to have offered something in opposition to this, but durst not do it and the mantua-maker that instant coming she went upstairs with her into her chamber leaving miss betsy and mr goodman together the former of whom being eager to go about what she intended ordered a hackney-coach to be called and taking the silk with her went directly to the shop where it was bought the mercer at first seemed unwilling to take it again but on her telling him she would always make use of him for everything she wanted in his way and would then buy two suits of him he at last consented as she was extremely curious in everything relating to her shape, she made choice of a pink-coloured French lustring, to the end that the plates lying flat would show the beauty of her waist to more advantage, and to atone for the slightness of the silk, purchased as much of it as would flounce the sleeves and the petticoat from top to bottom. She made the mercer also cut off a sufficient quantity of a rich green Venetian satin, to make her a riding habit, and as she came home, bought a silver trimming for it of point d'Espagne, all which, with the silk she disliked in exchange, did not amount to the money she had received from Mr. Goodman. On her return she asked the footman, who opened the door, if the mantua-maker was gone. But he, not being able to inform her, she ran hastily upstairs to Miss Flora's chamber, which indeed was also her own, for they lay together. She was about to bounce in, but found the door was locked, and the key taken out on the inside. This very much surprised her, especially as she had thought she had heard Miss Flora's voice as she was at the top of the staircase. Wanting, therefore, to be satisfied who was with her, she went as softly as she could into Lady Mellison's dressing-room, which was parted from the chamber but by a slight wainscot. She put her ear close to the panel in order to discover the voices of them that spoke, and finding, by some light that came through a crack or flaw in the boards, her eyes, as well as ears, contributed to a discovery she little expected. In fine, she plainly perceived Miss Flora and a man rise off the bed. She could not at first discern who he was, but on his returning to go out of the room, knew him to be no other than Galen. They went out of the chamber together as gently as they could, 
and though Miss Betsy might, by taking three steps, have met them in the passage, and have had an opportunity of revenging herself on Miss Flora for the late airs she had given herself, by showing how near she was to the scene of infamy she had been acting, yet the shock she felt herself on being witness of it kept her immovable for some time, and she suffered them to depart without the mortification of thinking any one knew of their being together in the manner they were. This young lady, who, though, as I have already taken notice, was of too volatile and gay a disposition, hated anything that had the least tincture of indecency, was so much disconcerted at the discovery she had made that she had not power to stir from the place she was in, much less to resolve how to behave in this affair. That is, whether it would be best or not to let Miss Flora know she was in the secret of her shame, or to suffer her to think herself secure. She was, however, beginning to meditate on this point, when she heard Miss Flora come up the stairs, calling at every step, "'Miss Betsy, Miss Betsy, where are you?' Galen was gone, and his young mistress, being told Miss Betsy was coming home, guessed it was she who had given an interruption to their pleasures by coming to the door. She, therefore, as she could not imagine her so perfectly convinced, contrived to disguise the whole and worst of the truth by revealing a part of it, and as soon as she had found her, "'Lord, Miss Betsy,' cried she, with an unparalleled assurance, "'where have you been? How do you think I have been served by that cursed toad Galand? He came up into our chamber, where the mantua-maker and I were, and as soon as she was gone, locked the door, and began to kiss and tease me so, that I protest I was affrighted almost out of my wits. The devil meant no harm, though, I believe, for I got rid of him easy enough, but I wish you had rapped heartily at the door, and obliged him to open it, that we both might have rated him for his impudence.' "'Some people have a great deal of impudence, indeed,' replied Miss Betsy, astonished at her manner of bearing it off. "'Ay, so they have, my dear,' rejoined the other, with a careless air. "'But, prithee, where have you been rambling by yourself?' "'No farther than Bedford Street,' answered Miss Betsy. "'You may see on what errand,' continued she, pointing to the silks which she had laid down on a chair. Miss Flora presently ran to the bundle, examined what it contained, and either being in a better humour, or affecting to be so, than when they talked on this head in the parlour, testified no disapprobation of what she had done, but on the contrary talked to her in such soft obliging terms that Miss Betsy, who had a great deal of good nature, when not provoked by anything that seemed an affront to herself, could not find in her heart to say anything to give her confusion. When Lady Mellison came home, and was informed how Miss Betsy had behaved in relation to the silk, she at first put on an air full of resentment, but finding the other wanted neither wit nor spirit to defend her own cause, and not caring to break with her, especially as her daughter was going with her to L, soon grew more moderate, and at length affected to think no more of it. Certain it is, however, that this affair, silly as it was, and as one would think insignificant in itself, lay broiling in the minds of both mother and daughter and they waited only for an opportunity of venting their spite, in such a manner as should not make them appear to have the least tincture of so foul and mean a passion. But as neither of them were capable of a sincere friendship, and had no real regard for any one besides themselves, their displeasure was of little consequence. Preparations for the journey of the young ladies seemed, for the present, to employ all their thoughts, and diligence enough was used to get everything ready against the time prefixed which wanted but three days of being expired when an unforeseen accident put an entire stop to it miss betsy received a letter from her brother mr francis thoughtless accompanied with another to mr goodman acquainting them that he had obtained leave from the head of the college to pass a month in london that he should set out from oxford in two days and hoped to enjoy the satisfaction of being with them in twelve hours after this letter what could she now do 
it would have been a sin not only against natural affection but against the rules of common good manners to have left the town either on the news of his arrival or immediately after it nor could lady trusty expect or desire she should entertain a thought of doing so she was too wise and too good not to consider the interest of families very much depended on the strict union among the branches of it and that the natural affection between brothers and sisters could not be too much cultivated far therefore from insisting on the promise miss betsy had made of going with her into the country she congratulated her on the happy disappointment and told her that she should receive her with a double satisfaction if after mr francis returned to oxford she would come and pass what then remained of the summer season with her this miss betsy assured her ladyship she would do so that according to all appearance the benefits she might have received by being under the eye of so excellent an instructress were but delayed not lost End of chapter 7